Today, we will continue our series on Connected, Connecting with God and Others. Thank you for joining us. So when I was in college, I took this statistics class. I went to it twice. I will always remember it, mainly because the teacher was hilarious. I don't know if it was on purpose. I really don't know. Um, or he was very strange, but either way, hilarious, okay? We walked in the class at the very beginning. We sit down. Everybody's quiet. You're kind of getting the scene. We don't know who this guy is. He writes this equation on the board, says nothing. It looks like Mandarin Chinese to me. I have no idea what any of it is. He says, solve this problem. And then we all just, I just wrote the problem and stared at it. But other people apparently were trying because he walked around with his hands behind his back and he'd lean over and go, wrong. And everybody would go, Ugh! and then we'd start laughing, you know, out of like nervousness, right? It was just like, what is going on? You know? So my schedule changed at work and things like that. So I realized I was going to have to drop that class. So I missed one, but a buddy of mine was in it. And so the next class I was able to make it. I said, I'm just going to go. The guy was entertaining. We'll go see. So I sit in the back, he's calling roll. And he says, Slade, I said, here, he goes, Slade, did you skip my class on Tuesday? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, that's all right, you're a nice guy. <laughs> I was like, How do you, you don't even know me. I was here one class and you just yelled at me that I was wrong. That's it, okay? He's a very good judge of character as well. Um, so I knew I, I never went back to that class because I didn't have a drop in or whatever. But my buddy who was in that class told me that every day he called my name on that roll. And every day after when I didn't answer, he said, that's all right, Slade's a nice guy. Totally strange, right? I might've got an A, I just never checked, you know? But this is what we do, right? We go into a classroom, they say, um, Brian, are you here? He's here, right here. But honestly, when I answered that many times, I wasn't really honest. I might've I might physically been there, but my mind was somewhere totally different. I was tired, I was stressed out, I was looking at these other things. I might've been there so you could mark off that I was there, but I wasn't there. And as we talk about this series, Connected, being connected to God and to others, I'm going to talk to you about being present. Really being present in the moment. Because if you want to connect with God, he is here right now. In the present. Not in some future place. He does hold your future. But you are missing him now if you're not present. And this is a hard thought. In a complicated one, which is why I'm like, how do you reduce all of this? But I just want to get a little bit of clarity and move in this direction, because this has honestly been a pursuit of mine since really being in ministry, is how are you more present in this moment? And, and depending on your background, like if you have a Pentecostal background, you might be like, is being present to God like some spiritual hot and cold game, like left, 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 colder, no, over here? Right? Or you're like uh, Stephen the Irishman off Braveheart, where he just walks in, if you've seen this movie, and he goes, Father, I'll ask him. Do I get to kill Englishmen if I hang out with, you know, or all this stuff? And he just talks to God, and you're like, are you? just out loud, everybody thinks he's crazy. Right? Is that what it looks like? Doesn't quite look like that. If your background is maybe real strict legalism, you think being present to God is just walking this line and not falling off of that line and following all of these rules. And that's how I'll be present to God. That's not being present to God. Being present to God is this practiced 
awareness that comes with a maturity in your faith, knowing that he is there, that he's everywhere, and not, he doesn't want to just leave you alone and let you just do your thing and compartmentalize your life into like, well, Sunday mornings I pay attention to the Lord, but Sunday afternoons all I care about is football. And then I bring God in kind of after that, especially if we lost, to pray for next Sunday. <laughs> right? But in the midst of it, being in this continual prayer, not to be over so spiritually great that you're no earthly good, but to understand that he is there. And let's be honest, we live in the most non-present, if that's the correct word, society of all time. Everything. We are distracted. I remember being up here for a rehearsal a few weeks ago, and I was using Teresa's iPad to read music. And, I was, and uh, she got a text message, and it said, do you want any sauces? And I was leading the band, and I'm like, do I want any sauces? <laughs> Who's asking me if I want sauces? All this stuff. It's her iPad. It's her husband texting her about dinner or something like that, right? I don't know, but it just was a number, and my eyes went boom, and then I was gone. And no longer am I leading the band. I'm sitting there confused, right? But that's how it goes sometimes, right? We have our phone just lighting up, notifications going, right? You're, how many times are you talking with somebody? Sometimes I love my Apple Watch, and I hate it all at the same time. I want to throw it in the lake sometimes. I'll be having a deep conversation with somebody, and I'll get a text message, and I'll go like this, and they think I'm checking the time. Like, do you care about what we're talking about right now? I do. I got, I got no answer. No good answer because I'm not present in that moment. And for a lot of us, we end up coping with the present instead of leaning on the one who has the real answers in that present. We cope or sedate the present with a belief that at some point in the future we will be more worthy of our attention than right now. So I'm working towards some goal. I have to be distracted because I'm building this business. And when that business is built, then I can be present. Or I cope with it, you know, in ways that are very, you know, easy to list, like drugs and alcohol or social media or apps on your phone or TV or political arguments. I get so wrapped up in those that I don't have any idea what's going on around me. And for some of us, the way we cope is we have a schedule that is so slammed, we got no room to pay attention to the Lord or even really the people around us. And we just kind of settle into the productivity, say maybe that's good. But honestly, you're like that scene in I Love Lucy with the conveyor belt. And she has to wrap the chocolates. And if you're young and you haven't seen this, it's still funny, I promise. If one gets through, she's fired. And they're coming, she goes, this isn't so bad. And they start coming and they're faster and they're faster. And soon she's shoving them in her mouth and stuffing them in her pockets because on the other side of that wall, they're just seeing one come through wrapped at a time. But on the other side, total chaos all over her face. And this is us. We filled up the time so we can't be present. This is especially true when pain or strife or even boredom show, off, show up. We often choose to cope instead of deal with the present. I know that's hard depending on the situation that you're in. I'm not saying any of this is easy or that I've totally figured it out. But this is what I'm thinking about. So we have pain in our life and we pray, God, please take this away. We get there pretty quick. 
Lord, take away this pain or this financial strife or this tension between me and my wife. And when he doesn't immediately do it, we kind of make an assumption that he wasn't listening and I'm going to go figure it out myself. As opposed to maybe he has something inside of the strife for me. Because this is a trust relationship, right? I believe that God knows better than me. Hopefully. (laughs) Right? Don't miss him. God is here in this moment right now. When you go to lunch, he'll be there as well. But you thinking about lunch, he's not in that. He's here now. Don't miss him. When we're not coping with the present, worry can keep us from being present. We're just um, distracted, looking all towards the future and just tied up with anxiety. Jesus addresses this and says, Um, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry than saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that if you need these things, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, for all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So why does Jesus bring this up and says, don't worry about tomorrow? Is it because worry is bad for you physically, mentally? Yeah, maybe. He's a pretty smart guy. Okay, he knows that's not good for you. Is he giving it to you so you have a verse to quote when you're riddled with anxiety? It's good to be reminded, okay? It's also, he knows if you are worried, you are obsessed with the future and you're not present in this moment and this moment is where you will experience God. He doesn't want you to miss him. He wants you to be present because he is here. He is present. And see, this is a being present is a question of trust, right? We love control. Control feels powerful, um, but it's also a facade. It's a fraud. You're not in control. He is. And so growing in our faith, we understand that the matu- this maturity takes place where we say, you are in control. God, I can trust you with these next days. In James 4, we just finished a long series on James. So much good information in there. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Evil. Woo! Why does he say that? Because if you're making plans separate from God, separate from God is evil. We say we trust you, Lord. We say, God, I want your guidance. But a lot of times we're so stuck in our selfishness that I really just want you to make a path for me to do what I want to do anyway. Then give me salvation which is arrogance. Trust in him. Believe that he knows better. 
Keep God in your plans. Acknowledge that he's in control. Don't compartmentalize him into different parts of your life. Understand that he sees everything. We fool ourselves very quickly to think we can hide things from the Lord. He wants to be in every part of your life. Worry is to focus on the future and miss the present. So I get to this point and I have to take a breath because I'm like, how do I control all of that? In a society riddled with anxiety, riddled with all of this stuff. And I go, you know what? You were built for something very important. You were built to worship God. And part of that worship is your attention. And in the garden, we, had it, we were there. We were with him. We were able to give him your attention. And, and then through sin, we're separated and we're trying to get back there. But it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. Your attention is valuable. And what you place it on is your direction. In the Screwtape Letters, which is a book by C.S. Lewis, um, if you haven't read it, quick overview is it's basically one demon writing letters to a younger demon and saying, this is how we will get people away from the Lord. This is a little bit long. Bear with me, okay? Demon writing to other demon, okay? The humans live in time, but our enemy, God in this case, destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time, which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience comparable to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered to them. We would therefore have them continually concerned. He would, I'm sorry, he would therefore have them concerned continually with either eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for present pleasure. Saying, God wants you in the present because he can experience you. Let's get them away from that. Let's pull them away from that. How do they do that? Like this. Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. With this in view, we sometimes tempt a human to live in the past, but this is limited value for they have some real knowledge of the past and it has a determinate nature and to that extent, resembles eternity. It is far better to have them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already. So that thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also it, the future, um, is unknown to them. So that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future is is, of all things, the thing least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. I want you worried. What's going to happen? We're going to keep you worried. 
right? Riddled with anxiety about what might happen because then I know you're not trusting in the Lord. You're not experiencing God. God wants to be present. And the deceiver wants you concerned or yearning for the future. Your ambitions, even your hopes. If that's where my mind is all the time and where I'm pressing, I'm not experiencing God. I'm not saying don't make plans for the future. I'm not saying don't have goals. I'm saying don't leave God out of it and don't miss him in the moment as you're on the journey towards those goals. Because his plan is better. It is not easy to be present. It is a fight. Think about like a long time ago, right? You'd wake up and you really had one concern for that day. Survive. Right? So you would get up, probably immediately praying, Lord, would it rain today? I need these crops to grow. Could you please bring rain? Could I please find something to hunt to feed my family tonight? God, God keep me safe. Don't let something find me to hunt. Don't let me break my leg two miles out because that could be a death sentence for me as I look for these things. Much easier to be present as you're sitting there staring at a campfire as your only television, considering the Lord. But in our world, it's hard for us to even know why we need God outside of salvation. We're so dang self-reliant. We feel like we get up. We don't. There might be one person in this room who wakes up going, God, I hope I have food today. Most of us have it. Our big greater concern is where are we going to go eat today? We have all the opportunity in the world to focus on God because we've been taking these distractions away, but we've just added more in. It feels risky, though, to say, I'm going to pay attention to you, Lord. I'm going to kind of stop protecting myself inside of um, my own uh, agendas and things like that and not let it myself be known um, because I really do believe that you know better. Um, I'm going to ignore what is my own selfishness and my own desires sometimes for what is better. Learning to be attentive to God is a quest in maturity and it takes time but you'll get better at it. You will. Eventually experiencing a shift where he's a deeper part of your life. The awareness that he is there with you becomes a simpler thought. Of course he's there. Of course he's there. He's, God is not distant. I compare this to a short story. When I was 14 years old, my parents, um, who are here today, got a uh, new bedroom set, new mattress and all this stuff. And they said, hey, do you want our king-size mattress? And I said, uh, yes, I do. Okay. So they, I had a king-size mattress in my bed, bedroom, and it was awesome, right? I would just starfish that thing out, like, right? Which I still took up the whole thing. But it was, uh, you know, I got used to that, right? Having this big old bed. Um, and then when I was 20, I get married, and all of a sudden, 55% of the real estate's taken up. Just kidding. <laughs> um, 
right? And, and like, it was a hard process for me to learn. I'll be honest. I was used to being able to move around that thing. And unfortunately my wife suffered some injuries because of it. Cause I would flip over and you know, she would get smacked. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a great way to start. I see some wives laughing who understand that this happens. Okay. I'll tell you where the big shift came when my daughter, Julia was born. Okay. They bring her home from the hospital. Well, we did. And I'm looking at this kid and I'm just like, this thing is so fragile. I am definitely going to screw this up. Right? And I'm just obsessed with her. I'm looking at her. I'm amazed by her. In, in the middle of the night, we'd get up to feed her and they'd, we'd put her in between us. And somehow, immediately, I learned how in my sleep to flip over in one tiny little spot. <laughs> in a dead sleep. And I remember doing it the first couple of times and going, how did I teach myself this? But see, I was aware she was right there. Now I still do it. She's not there. <laughs> okay? I made myself so aware of her safety and wanting to take care of her that somehow even in my sleep, I was conscious of caring for her. You know, this is very similar to, um, I remember being in here a couple weeks ago with Amy who does our video stuff and her kid is in the preschool and we're walking by and this kid cries and she just stops, goes, not my kid. Okay. She, her ear is tuned to that cry. She knows it exactly. Right. Or the same way a musician hears and goes, mm, I've spent a lot of time doing this and I know that chord isn't right. I know that tuning is wrong. I've tuned my ear to these things. You know, and some people are better at it. Some people, it takes longer time. Some people get it real fast. It's okay. We're pursuing that attentiveness. So how do I get there? What do I do? Okay. We need some methodology. I would say first, you must know the word of God. You want to be attentive to God? Know his word. He did not give it to you by accident friend of mine one time who was in ministry said, hey, can we go to lunch and talk through some stuff? I said, sure. So we're sitting there at lunch and he says, do you ever think that you married the wrong person? I said, what do you mean? He's like, I think God wants me to divorce my wife. And I said, no, he doesn't. He said, well, I think there's no adultery. There's nothing. He just decided, I just want to do something else. So therefore, God must have said that. But if you know the word of God, you say, <laughs> sorry. That's not what God's asking you to do right now. I don't have to have an audible conversation with God to understand what he wants me to talk about in that moment. Okay? Secondly, if you want to become more present to, the, to God, is you must know his character because some things are just not clearly written out in this word, but you've been with them enough to know how he operates. Another buddy of mine calls me, and he's going through some heavy, heavy family stuff. Heartbreaking, nightmare stuff. And he says to me in the middle of this conversation, I knew one day God would come back and punish me for the things I did in college. I said, you don't know that. You, this is separate. God isn't sitting there waiting 
for your joy and then go in. Bam! Told you not to do that. That's not his character. He didn't sacrifice his son on the cross so that he could just set you up. Now, is there consequences and collateral damage for your sin? Heck yeah, there is. That's why he asks you not to do it. He doesn't want to be separated from you or to deal with the aftermath of that sin. You're going to have to deal with that. But this was separated by 30 years. Nothing to do with each other. He had just lived in guilt for so long and didn't step into that freedom. But the character of God is calm. Come move into freedom. If you want to be present to God, you must also care about what God cares about. So we're going to try a little exercise. I just want you to look around the room. Okay, I can tell if you're looking. Look around the room, you know, look at other people, okay? And I want you to make a list in your mind about which one of these people God cares about. Okay, just make a list. I know you're on it. Who else makes that list? Who is God crazy about? Who did God knit together in the womb? Who did God let his son bleed out and have a horrible, horrible, excruciating death for? We are so guilty of minimizing our, even our conversations with people. And church people do it too, right? You got a reservation at Applebee's. I don't know if they do that. But you're having a conversation after church and you're sitting there talking to somebody and they really want to talk to you. And you're going, yeah, yeah, you're not there. You're thinking about, I'm going to be late. I got to go do this thing. So you minimize that. They know you don't care. I mean, it's no hiding. Some people are suffering horribly with loneliness and they need to know somebody cares about them and your life might be pretty good right now. And so you have the capacity to give them some worth and to express the care of the Lord to them. I've got a buddy named Jason and Jason is one of the funniest individuals I've ever met. Great guy. If he walks into a room, he will find the outcast. He will. He will see them sitting over in a corner. Could be a youth, could be an adult. It doesn't matter. He will go and he'll sit with them. And I remember asking him one time, I was like, how did you make that part of your practice? And he said, well, I, I, could, I was that kid a couple times um, that was totally isolated. And I knew what it meant to me when somebody gave, made me feel at home. He said, but also, um, I know that God cares about them, and so I want to care for them. But here's the secret for him. He said, it scares me every single time. And he does it every single time. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get trapped in some conversation. I don't know how to leave with somebody who makes me feel very awkward. But you know what? The risk for him is worth it because he wants to know, that he wants those people to know that God cares for them, and it's him being attentive to God. When we intersect with people and care for them, not because we like them or what we might get out of that relationship, but because God cares for them, we are being attentive and present to God in those moments. So there's going to be some people that make you feel uncomfortable. It costs you nothing. Be there. Love them. You know, in Matthew 25, where he says, you know, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. 
And what I realized about five years ago is I really don't want to be in the business of choosing who the least of these are. I don't want to go, eh, this person counts because they're homeless. But this person looks like they're dressed okay, so I don't have to treat them as if I would treat God. Because you don't know. You know, here we say your story matters because there's a whole bunch of things that got you to this moment and you might be beat up and you might really need the Lord in this moment. And us, we need to extend God in those times. This is being attentive to God. So I want to challenge you a little bit as I challenge myself. Allow your emotions and certain things in your life from this moment to start triggering you. This is a word we love right in our culture. I was triggered. I was triggered. But to trigger you to be present to God, okay? That might be, okay, I'm going to turn the notifications off on my phone because I really don't need to be at work all the time. I can check my emails when I check my emails. I can look at Facebook on occasion instead of being drugged back into it over and over and over again. When I feel the desire to check those things, I will first be attentive to God that while I'm in it, I can still be attentive to him. So that maybe as I read those posts, I'm prompted to reach out to somebody as I feel their heartache or loneliness. When I'm bored, right? You've all seen this. And honestly, we've all probably been this family who goes out to eat. Let's go out to eat together. We'll all be together. And they all sit down and they pull out their phones and they just start. Looking at it. Well, I had to. The menu was digital. When you're bored and you're trying to cope with that moment, first give your attention to the Lord. You know when you're bored. You know when you're anxious. When you start feeling anxious and you're looking at the future and you're, yeah, rest in the Lord first. I know this is a big complex thing and there's so much inside of all of this. Just saying, allow yourself to push yourself into the presence of God. Know it. When you feel it, I'm getting outside of this. I'm really worried. I'm living in regret over something that I did. It pulls you away. Right? We're so, we're so uncomfortable being quiet and being by ourselves. I can't read the Bible on my phone anymore because it, gets, it pulls me away. There's just too many things, you know? And we just, we need to learn to be quiet in front of the Lord and be present with him in the mundane and in the pain and in the victory. They did this study at this college where they took men and women and they put them in a room in silence and in darkness for two hours. And when they brought them out, they asked them, what did you think about? In that time, as college students, the men thought about two things. They both started with S. The second was sports. <laughs> the women, this was very enlightening to me. It wasn't to my wife. She said, of course. The women replayed conversations in their head that they had had recently. Thought about if I changed those words, maybe it would have resulted differently. They started massaging these relationships, right? Replaying these conversations. And honestly, it made me realize that when my wife says, you remember when we talked about that? I might not have been present at all and she's had the conversation 25 times. <laughs> right? 
But all of that is, you know, in that, when we get alone, our minds can end up going to dark places because we haven't trained it to be like attentive to God. We haven't trained it to say, God, I, I, I'm seeking you first. What would you say to me as I sit here and I'm quiet? I give you the stage. Instead, I distract myself and go, how long do I have to sit here? I got things to do. Don't miss him. Allow your natural reactions to this world prompt you to his presence. And I'm sure you've thought of even more. Man, I, am not, I can't pay attention to God when this happens. When I'm looking at this, when I'm worried about my kids, when I have all the, there's just there's so much stuff. How do I do it? Slow, take steps, be attentive to him, care about what he cares about, know his word, know his character. Because we want to see you fully alive. We want to see you knowing God like never before because you're present to him. Let's pray.